rewarding careers, experiences of a lifetime. Explore Travel PT at ariusmedical.com. A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com. NPTE StudyCast. All right, welcome to NPTE StudyCast. I'm Jimmy McKay. Stacey Menz is back on the show. Stacey, welcome back. Thanks. We're talking about CP, cerebral palsy in, uh, in pediatrics. How would you uh, describe the pathology briefly when using it in uh, clinical practice? Cerebral palsy, I like to describe it as so that people can understand. It's similar to a stroke. So there is damage that happens to the brain at some point Generally, prior to or during birth, it can also happen within the first month or so after birth. And this injury, it's a static injury. So like once the injury happens, usually it's from lack of oxygen, that injury itself is not going to change. But depending on where it is in the brain, it's going to change how the child presents. So you could see four kids that have cerebral palsy and they are all going to look completely different because it's going to be based on where the injury is, similar to like when an adult has a stroke. And the word cerebral is in the name of the pathology, but for some reason, when you see an issue, maybe with an upper or lower extremity, you think it's an upper or lower extremity injury, and you have to sometimes take a step back and say, this is a brain injury that's manifesting as a musculoskeletal symptom. Right. Perfect place to start. We got a good frame of reference. Let's go next to what's involved. Obviously, the brain. Let's start there. Generally, a brain injury that's usually caused by lack of oxygen to the brain also be a fetal stroke a maternal intrauterine infection. It could be a traumatic head injury. If a traumatic head injury happens early enough after birth, then it would still fall under the classification of cerebral palsy. All of these cause damage to the brain tissue that then once that damage occurs, that damage is done. It's not going to continue progressing. Got it. And that's very important. Great. Proving it and disproving it tests. What do we look at? Uh, you know, PTs aren't conducting these tests, but sometimes they creep up on exams and in practice. Yeah. So cerebral palsy is a lot of times a clinical diagnosis that can be made when the child's not reaching their motor milestones. Some kids can be diagnosed right at birth or possibly even before birth, depending on the type of imaging that the mother has had or, you know, some concerns. But there's a lot of kids that we see that they are born and they're not diagnosed until six months later because the symptoms can be mild or there could be other things going on. So it's math. And so they can use MRIs and other neuroimaging to assist in the diagnosis if they're not sure to see if there is actual damage to the brain. But a lot of times it's clinical. They're looking at the reflexes. They're looking at their motor, their muscle tone. Um, they're looking at the quality of their movement patterns. Also, as I mentioned earlier, are they or are they not reaching their motor milestones? And so what can also happen is they'll use other tests such as imaging, blood work, and EEGs to rule out other possible diagnoses. Mainly a clinical diagnosis, but you can use some other tests to rule some things out. Yes. Differential diagnosis. Moving on to differential diagnosis, uh, since it is a clinical diagnosis, it, it might look like some other things. What, what else uh, can be brought up in differential diagnosis with CP? Brain tumors, anything that's, so the brain tumors, because again, that's going to be affecting the brain, but that's going to be more progressive because the tumor is going to be growing. It could be some metabolic disorders because it, they tend to impact how the muscles are functioning. And then it could also be some atypical motor trajectories associated with premature birth. So just because a baby's born prematurely doesn't mean that they have CP, but they may have some abnormal movement patterns or motor development. Treatment examples. Treatment examples when you're working with an individual with CP, uh, where does your head go? 
there's a lot of different ways because again, these could present so differently depending on the type. There's a classification system. You can classify how severe CP is based on their gross motor ability, their manual ability, their communication, and their eating and drinking ability. And generally that's known as the GMSCS, the gross motor function classification system. And there's five levels. That's what we use the most. And it kind of can help with looking at trajectory over time, but it's also based on how the distribution of the impairments occur. So it could be diplegia, so both legs. It could be hemiplegia, one side, so the left or right arm and leg. Or it could be quadriplegia, so it has all four limbs are involved. And then you can also classify based on movement differences based on where the brain damage is. So it could be spastic, so they have like highly spastic muscles. It could be dyskinetic, it could be ataxic, or you could have a mixed presentation. Again, when I talk about where our treatment focus goes, that just gives you an idea of how broad the presentation can be based on the diagnosis and where the brain injury is. What we work on a lot is strength, flexibility and range of motion, motor development, and mobility. And even kids that have higher muscle tone or plasticity, we're still going to work on strength because we want to work on teaching them how to isolate out their motor control so that they have some more control of when their muscles turn on and off as opposed to more of like a reflexive or all their muscles turning on at the same time because they don't know how to use the specific ones that they want to access the strength that they need. And then our focus could change as the child ages depending on what the needs of the family and the child are because our big goal is always participation. Find ways for the child to be able to independently participate as much as possible. And the other thing we'll do is make bracing recommendations, whether we refer them to an orthopedic doctor for scoliosis because of, you know, altered muscle tone impacting their joints or braces for their feet to help with maintaining range of motion and providing a better support for their functional mobility. What to know for the test. Uh, last part of the show here with uh, taking a look at CP is the sample question. Uh, what do we got there, Stacy? I went with the GMFCX classification system. A child with cerebral palsy is able to walk using an assistive device as their primary form of mobility. What GMFCS classification level would they be? A, level 5. B, level 2. C, level 3. D, level 4. And the answer is C, level 3. So definitely something to at least take a look at once or twice before you head into yeah. the NPTE is that classification system. J- just to really hit some highlights of what each level might look like. Yes. Like a level 1 is a child walks independently in the community. And a level 5 is they are completely dependent for mobility. They're in a wheelchair. They're being pushed around. Then levels 2 through 4 have some other variations of whether walking independently for household distances, but may need um, an assistive device or a wheelchair for longer distances or more community outings or walks using the assistive device in the community. So you're going to get kind of those variations, but if you just do a brief overview of them, you should have a decent idea. Excellent. A good in-depth look at CP with Stacey Menz here on NPTE StudyCast. Download free study guides now at ariusmedical.com slash NPTE studycast. A-U-R-E-U-S medical.com slash NPTE studycast. Rewarding careers, experiences of a lifetime. Explore travel PT at ariusmedical.com. NPTE studycast. Brewed by the PT 
Tea Pintcast. 